0: welcome and good morning this is week number three of gospel saving church that's our name gospel saving church i love it uh... week three we're going to be reviewing today we're going to be going over matthew chapter three we're not going to make it through the whole chapter but we're going to be matthew chapter three so you guys would join me in a word of prayer before we get into our message today and uh... Hear what the Lord has to say to us. Dear God, thank you so much for bringing us here today. The little beginnings, Lord, we're not forsaking, Lord God. We're, we're, uh, Lord, when you're ready, you're going to bring the abundance, Lord God, and make this church what you want it to make. Make it, Lord, and, and we're here, Lord, just to be in an honor and worship unto you. Lord, uh, I pray, God, that you're going to speak today in a powerful way and reach out to the people that will be listening to this here in this room and me, because I know I learn when you teach me too, as I teach. And Lord, those that might be listening to this, that will listen to it afterward, we're we're done teaching it. I pray God that you would prick our hearts and that you would teach us what it means to be Christ-like and even teach us what it means in John's message today. Even to take that first step to come to know you. Thank you for John the Baptist and thank you for sending your son Jesus Christ and thank you for sending the disciples all those that you were sent my cousin Joey that you sent to me Lord God years ago that you through him opened my eyes and thank you so much now I pray dear God that I would be able to be used by you in that way to, you would speak through me to open other people's eyes too. I love you and praise you God I ask these things in Jesus name Amen so Matthew chapter 3, we're going to read it all over, but the title of our message today it's going to be about John, Message of the Messenger, Message of the Messenger, that's our title today. We're going to look at John the Baptist's message, John chapter 3, and we're going to dissect it, and we're going to break it down. And we're going to see what God had to say through John. But first, we're going to read the passage. We're going to read over chapter 3, 12 verses, which is what I think we'll be blessed to really get through. So in those days, John the Baptist, three one. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, and make his paths straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. And Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him, and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism he said to them brood of vipers who warns you to flee from the wrath to come therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance and do not think to say to yourselves we have abraham as our father for i say to you that god is able to raise up children to abraham from these stones and even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. John the Baptist was a very powerful speaker. Very powerful indeed. Amazing guy. Amazing man of God. But before we get to his message, we're going to look at some really awesome gold nuggets that we pull out of scripture before we look at what he said. And these are things that, you know, you can easily read over. And this is something I I believe it's important for us to look at. Not only, you know, the the, the main message and what can easily be seen when we read it, just reading it over. But I think it's important that we look at the things that can't normally be seen when we're just going to read it over. Just kind of casually we may miss it. So let's look at these gold nuggets. Well, if you didn't notice, between chapter 2, verse 23, which is the last verse, and chapter 3, verse 1, there was a 30-year gap, roughly, in between that one verse, in between those two verses. I mean, do we ever really see that? Look at here, verse 23 of John chapter, or Matthew chapter 23. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. That was the end of Joseph and Mary going to Nazareth. So that was Jesus still at around two years old. Chapter 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. That was the start of Jesus' ministry. He was about 30 or 31 or 32 years old when he started. So between 2.23 and 3.1, there was roughly about a 30-year gap. Now, you would never see that reading it over. You're like, wait a minute, 30 years. You know, we read the Bible over so many times, and as we're reading it, we'll look at it and go, man, everything happened so fast. Wow, look at that. It just boom, 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 boom. But look at there. 30-some years, right there. Bam. So what happened in that 30-year gap? Well, a whole lot actually happened, but actually a very little bit was recorded. The Gospel of John, chapter 21, verse 25, John writes, and there are also many other things that Jesus did. This is now, this is after the crucifixion, and this is the very last section of John's Gospel. There are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written down one by one, I suppose that even the whole world itself... Could not contain the books that were written, and and I'm and I'm guessing that that was really something that John spoke by God saying of his ministry. Um, we're not even talking about we did, we don't really have but a couple few things recorded of Jesus age two, our birth to two to twelve. We're gonna look at that today, and then 32, 33 years old. That that was it. We that's that's all we have of Jesus' life really before his public ministry, where he came to give. Salvation to mankind and tell us what it meant to be a Christian and how to get saved But so what do we have what do we have we have four gospels in which are written details and different perspectives of Christ's ministry and his life and death and resurrection we have some of the differences are because the gospels believe it or not are all different they're called synoptic gospels they're not exactly word for word all the same if you guys have ever read the New Testament you'll, you'll see that Well we see. We we see in Matthew we had the genealogy of Abraham actually of yeah, we have we had Abraham to Jesus. Then with the birth of Jesus we had then we jump into the forerunner John, which we're gonna look at today, and then we got right to Jesus' ministry. Mark starts with John the Baptist. Mark doesn't even give anything about Jesus' birth at all. but we get we start right with John and we go right to Jesus' ministry. Luke, Luke was a physician. And he wrote his gospel for Theophilus, which was, we don't know who Theophilus was, but Luke was a physician. So in Luke's gospel, we get more along the lines of, we get a lot of medical kind of terms. We get a lot of medical things. And there's no no doubt in my mind that's why in Luke we get, one, we get the birth of both John and Jesus. And all the details, including the visitations of the angels, we get all those details. Two, we get their circumcisions. Jesus on the eighth day, we get John's circumcision, where his dad was finally loose because his angel bound his dad's tongue until John was born because his dad didn't believe. Uh, we also in in Luke we get the one reference of Jesus between age two and thirty or thirty-three years old when he started his ministry, and that was Jesus age twelve when his family came to Jerusalem for a for a you know something that a, a, one of the feasts that that the Jews would have yearly. And that he actually stayed behind. He was in the temple. And that was age 12. He was listening to all the Pharisees and his, you know the religious leaders. And he was kind of commenting and listening along. And then we go right to John the Baptist coming. Then Jesus' ministry. And the four, number four, in John's gospel, we get no birth of Jesus or John or nobody. And nothing. We get nothing about them, period, grown up. Nothing about any of the circumcisions. Nothing. Instead... God, through John, gave us the eternal description of Christ and God. Uh, Who God and Christ were before we were ever here, before the world ever existed. That God and Christ were one, and that they were eternally existent before everything was. We get that. Uh, Then, he jumps right to John's preaching, which we're going to look at today, and then to the ministry of Jesus, and his whole gospel is pretty much spent focusing on The miracles of Jesus. So you see all the Gospels, different, but all same, all about one guy, the guy that we're here to talk about today, Jesus. Uh, It's also funny, God just showed me that just now. What guy, this is actually, I'll throw this in later, we'll we'll point it out again, because we're going to look at some of the neat things about John before we look at what he said. All four Gospels highlighted two people. John and Jesus. All the gospel writers didn't have to put anything about their birth or anything, but guess what God decided it was important for us to listen to here? John, what John said, and Jesus. All four gospels highlight John. That is a, we're going to look at that as a, uh, later on, we look at the resume of John. We're going to look at his resume. And kind of who he was and why God chose him to to do what he did. Um, But believe it or not, also in that one little 30-year gap there, we also have critics of the Bible that would look at that 30-year gap and also look at those differences and say, well, that's why your Bible's not real. Because they're not exactly the same and they contradict one another. Interestingly enough, each man of God that he used to write wrote the unique character of God that God gave them. They each gave different perspectives of his life, death, and resurrection. Now, some stories do parallel, but even those stories were given from four people's perspectives. Each person saw his life and the action that he did, and the miracle they did, each from their own way. Each Maybe one was standing on his right side. Maybe some, one was in the back. Maybe one of the gospel writers was standing in the crowd and saw him as the crowd would see him. But believe it or not, this is a reason why there are are critics. Because they say, well, the gospels aren't exactly the same. They contradict one another. The main differences of why they scoff? Differences would be be the main reason. The differences in the gospels. Number two main reason, and and I've heard these next two. I've heard all three of these when I've been on the streets and when I've been preaching. uh, Number two would be They have trouble believing the miracles of Jesus. They can't discount what he did, but they just say, I I have trouble believing them. I, I just can't believe them. And number three, they would have trouble understanding what is written. I've actually been told this while I was preaching. I've talked to people and I've sold them some of the prophecies. We're going to look at that in a minute and and everything. And and I've told them, you know, I've been witnessing to them and I've I've told them some of the amazing things about God's word and the proofs of it and so on and so forth. And they said, well, well, that, 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 that's fine. But I just don't understand what God wrote. And I say, well, really? So you don't believe in Jesus and God because you just don't understand it? And they consider that a qualm against the Bible, a quirk against the Bible because They don't understand it. Well, that's complete fallacy. That's that's because they don't want to understand it. Nevertheless, we can go through the whole sermon on its own. Um, What what's something else that we could pull out? We pull out, there's that word again Prophecy. 33. For this is he who was spoken of by Prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. We have that word again, prophecy. If you're keeping track, because I did, almost like a scorecard, uh, chapter 1, we had one. One prophecy. Chapter 2, we had four. In chapter 3, we have one. Chapter 3 is a very short chapter, though. If you're keeping track, we have six total prophecies that Matthew wrote in just three chapters of the Gospels. We have six total prophecies. We need to keep an eye on those prophecies. Why? Because they're very important. Again, I stress that again, because they show us that Jesus was written about and John was written about and all the aspects of Christ's life before he came. Uh, and if you look too, they're all about different aspects of Christ's life in his coming, in his birth, death, and resurrection. They're all about all his different aspects of his life. And God really hits all the spectrum from birth All the way to resurrection, he hits all the spectrum on, you know, prophecy, saying who God was, saying who Christ was before he'd ever come. Main message. Two parts to this main message. But before we look at the parts, we're going to look at the amazing man of John the Baptist first. Enter John. He has some pretty impressive credentials. Let's look at his credentials First, number one, he was the one that God gave us prophecy about to come before Christ. And I'll say it again to confirm it. He was in all four Gospels. Not only did God, he gave us prophecy about him, but he gave his prophecy about him throughout all four Gospels. Each Gospel writer thought it was important to write that down about John four times in four Gospels. Awesome. He was also the one that God made to usher in Christ's coming. Christ had to have a forerunner. He had to have somebody to come before Him to prepare His way. He kind of had to have somebody to come to say, "Hey, this is going to be the one that was coming." Well, God made and chose John to do just that. Number three. Let's look at what Jesus wrote about. We go to Matthew eleven seven through eleven. You know, and if you're going to look at, if you're going to look at who, Matthew eleven to if you're going to look at the message of the person I think it's important to look at his credentials because how, how important was he you know what kind of got, what kind of what kind of importance did this guy play uh, in coming and let's look we already looked at those two amazing things 11 chapter 11 verse 7 to 11 let's see what Jesus said about John <clears throat> as they departed Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? This is speaking about what we're going to read about today. A reed shaken by the wind. But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments. Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are the kings, are in kings' houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. That's what John was considered. More than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I sent my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Verse 11. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Jesus just said that among born of all men, Including everyone that will hear this, everyone that's in this room, everyone that was born up in that time, including all the great men of God, Elijah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, none born among men, that was greater than John the Baptist. That's some pretty impressive credentials. Now, the man that God chose, let's describe him. He ate locusts and wild honey. Yikes. He wore a camel's hair as clothing, and he wore a leather belt around his waist, and he lived in the wilderness. Remember, Jesus said, who did you come out to see? Someone sitting in king's house? No, up to see some scraggly looking guy that... Who is this? Right? Nobody important, nobody special. God could have made this man to be of John to be anybody, but he chose John and he made John just the way he made John for a reason. Why did he do that? Ask yourself if I were God, if you were God, could you choose and would you have chosen to make this person of John the way you did? You could have chosen anybody that you wanted at all to represent the coming of your son and yet you chose this guy. Camel's hair, Ate locusts and wild honey. Let's look at the disciples. Mostly fishermen and tax collectors, which were not men that were spoken of or thought of very highly in Jesus' time at all. Tax collectors were hated by Jewish people because most of them were Jews. And so why do you think Jews would hate them? Well, the way Rome set up their whole bit... The, way Rome, the reason Rome set up their whole bit was so they required a tax. Let's say they asked for a dollar a week. I'm sure it was more than that. They, so they said to the tax collector, you owe me a dollar a week from each person that's in wherever that you're tax collecting for. Any amount of money that you can get above that, you get to keep. We're not going to pay you. So the way you'll get paid is, Anything above what you can collect of our one dollar week that we want, that we want is yours. So of course, the way that they had to make their money was through dishonesty. It, it was, it, so the people that they had to go to were their own kinsmen, the Jews, and the Jews hated being under Roman authority anyway. And that Rome would choose their own people to come against them, and yet their own people, to, in order to make money, you know, and if they were fair. They could have chosen a dollar twenty, but of course it's money and it's power. And of course, you know, they wouldn't have chosen a dollar. They would have probably said two or three dollars. They didn't really probably know necessarily if the people knew how much Rome wanted per person. It was whatever the text collector chose. So these were not people that God chose so very high on the spectrum of people uh, to again be with his son and to represent the message. So why did God do this? First Corinthians one twenty seven. The Bible says, God has chosen the foolish things of this world to put the shame, the wise. I don't can't tell you why, other than the fact that God chose foolish things of this world, like John the Baptist, who was pretty foolish looking, and like the disciples who were pretty foolish looking, acting, smelling, to represent and to be with the coming of the great king, the Messiah that would save mankind from their sins that's a pretty important task and yet God gave the disciples, and made the disciples and John the Baptist to be these people that society said yuck to we don't understand the ways of God, his ways are above our ways, that's all I can say so given all those statistics about John why did I give those? well We as people in this world and all people of mankind especially that are reading the Bible need to understand that this is very important and why we need to look at John's message so importantly. Although he wasn't much to look at and his breath was probably terrible and he probably wasn't very friendly as we read brood of vipers we we can't really how do you say brood of vipers very friendly like he wasn't really he was a very fiery hell and brimstone preacher. He wasn't very impressive. He is still the one that God made and chose and sent to give this message. Now, I know people, and people are people, and people like credentials. We respect people if they have a big college degree. We respect people if they, uh, if they have a high honor in society. So, why did I give all the credentials about John? Well, because if you look at the one who sent him and the one who spoke highly of him, which was Jesus and Jehovah God, I sure hope that we can look at them and respect them and say, well, since they're the one that sent this guy to give this message, we ought to look at this guy and say, okay, I, I need to sit up and listen to the message that John has to tell us. So, we're down to John's message. What is his message? And why is it so important to us? Looks like it's about one line. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's all he spoke. To all the people. He went into the wilderness. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Reminds me of another guy that kind of gave a very similar message. His name was Jonah. And in Jonah, we read about Jonah's message in the book of Jonah. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. He didn't even give a turn to God or you're going to burn in hell message. He pretty much just said 40 days and God's going to wipe all you out. That's all he said. (laughs) But yet, look at the results that God got through this one message. The entire city of more than 120,000 people gave their lives to God. And then Jonah also writes, God thinks it's important in there to say also animals and all those other people too. So now what was his message? Let's break it down. Most, most, most importantly, why we're here. Repentance. That's what he preached. Repentance doesn't save anything. This is a very important note that we have, to, we have to point out. Jesus is the one that saves. But he didn't say Jesus in his message. He just said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent does not, repentance or repenting does not save anybody. But without repentance, there is no salvation for anybody. Think about that. Repentance doesn't save anybody in itself. But without it, nobody gets saved. Why? We're going to look at that. But it's not a message either, too. I point this out before we get into it. It's not a message either that's really preached today. Repentance is not really taught. It's not really preached at all. Why? Well, as God's shown me, Satan has tricked people and drawn them into what they call in America, what we'll call here in America, easy believism. Just believe in Jesus and pray this prayer and you'll be okay. Well, let's look at what repentance means from God's perspective. and Let's see how important it is from God. We look at first Second Peter three, nine. What does Second Peter 3, 9 to us say? The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, so God's not slow, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, or you could say go to hell, but that all should pray a prayer of salvation. Oh. Oh, Oops. I didn't mean to say that. That is actually, I'm, I'm sorry. That's that's what's taught today. Okay, let, let's read it again. Let's last part again. He's not slack concerning his life, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So God's not willing that anybody perish, die, and go to hell, but that all come to repentance. Let's explain repentance. What is it? The Greek word is "methaneo." It's a verb, which is obviously an action. Okay. The Greek says this is the definitions to change one's mind. For example, to repent. Here's the one that kind of details it out more further: to change one's mind for the better, heartily. To amend the abhorrences of one's past sins. We always, I've, I've, I've taught for a long time, and you could say this too, that repentance means turning away from self and turning to Christ. And it does mean that, but we have to understand it's not a physical thing that we do. It's a changing of the mind. Whatever you purpose in your mind that's what you'll do. Whatever you set your heart, the Bible would say the mind would be like the heart. Whatever you set your heart to do, you're, I'm tired of living this way. I don't want to live this way anymore. I need to live for God. That's repentance. That's a picture of repentance. You didn't actually physically do anything. What you did was in your mind, you said, I'm done living this way. I'm ready for a change. It's a changing of one's mind. So repentance is not, pray this prayer and you'll be saved, which is very widely preached in America today, to pray a simple prayer of salvation. And did you know that there's not even any such prayer of salvation, it's contained in scripture at all. There's no, uh, John 2, 9 says, pray this prayer, pray Jesus I love you and I need you and, and uh, I, I need to be saved and you'll be saved. There's no such prayer that exists in all saved. of Scripture. Not even one. This is deception that Satan has tricked people into America into thinking. Because here in America, we have this here. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, says to people that made that, Oh, Jesus, I need you, and oh, I make you my Lord. And he says in 721, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven... They were calling him Lord. But listen to what he says. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. He says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? So they looked good religiously. They looked good on the outward. They looked good like they they did some good religious things. They looked like kind of holy a little bit. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who, look at what they did, they practiced lawlessness. Although they may have prayed a simple prayer, verbally, in their heart they never said, I need to turn away from self and sin, and I need to turn to God and live for Him. Pretty simple. One's a prayer, and one's a heart change. One's an absolute mind-changing thing that you do. So we look at them, what is a Christian? A Christian is not, I believe in Jesus. That's what the Bible says. A Christian is one that says, I'm going to repent daily. I'm going to deny myself daily, turn away from myself daily, which is what Jesus said that people ought to be doing. Deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow after me. Denying yourself, deciding to say, I'm going to follow Christ today. I'm not going to live for me in this world anymore. I'm going to decide to follow Christ today and and I'm sick of the way I am and I need to change and I need change. The person looks different. They're not going to be the same. They're going to live for God whether people are around or people aren't around because God's important in their life like the wise men that we looked at last week. Their whole lives were spent in dedication to Christ and to God. They don't behind people's backs, they don't act one way, and then in front of people, they don't live another way. This is a real Christian, to be Christ-like, to turn your whole self, to make a decision to turn your whole self to Christ. But the funny thing is, is once you make that decision to say, I'm going to turn my whole self and my whole life to Christ... Something very important is going to happen and that's going to be the other part. God then sends his Holy Spirit into your life once you make that decision. I want to live for you and I don't want to live for myself anymore. And then he actually, because of that decision that you made, that's where the Holy Spirit comes into your life and your heart and then makes those changes. And then what happens is just from that decision that you made in your physicalness, then God plays out real Christ-like life in your body. So the decision comes first. God makes the necessary changes that come afterwards. And that's the supernatural thing that Paul writes in 2 Corinthians five seventeen: All those that are in Christ are new creatures, are new creations. The old is gone and the new has come. And we don't make that ourselves. We don't actually physically do that ourselves. What we do is in our hearts and in our minds, we say, no more. I'm tired of this. Jesus, not me. That's the main thrust of john's message now for them now for them then and for us now remember john was sent to pave the way christ was coming he was preparing the people turn away from your wickedness get ready get ready and then here's the second part of the message here kingdom of heaven is at hand you see before jesus came and died the kingdom of heaven was never available for people to enter before Jesus, those who follow God went to a place called paradise or Abraham's bosom, which we'll find in Luke 16, for Abraham's bosom and then paradise in Luke 23, 43. Then after Jesus died, paradise was taken up to heaven. And then the door to heaven was finally opened for people. Before Christ, people just went to like a holding place. Wasn't like purgatory, like the Catholics teach. It was a place of just holding. It was a place of there was no sin, there was no shame, there was no pain. It was just a place to kind of hold people. And Abraham was there, hence why it was called Abraham's bosom. Or if on the other side of things you didn't follow God and He wasn't your Lord, because even there was lordship, God had to be your Lord back then. Those who did not follow God went to a place called Hell or Hades, which we find in Luke sixteen twenty three. So his message to people in today's language, our language now, get right with God and turn to him quickly because heaven is about to be opened up. And this was an exciting thing. No more were people just going to have to die and and be buried and then go to a place where pretty much it was not, I'm not going to say it was apart from God, but it wasn't with God either. It was just kind of neutral, just kind of a place where everybody knew God, everybody loved God, but God wasn't there. So what was the result of his preaching? Which is what I really hope the result of this preaching here today would be. Verses 5 and 6 of Matthew 3. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. And notice... The step of repentance was not actually the confessing of their sins. The step of repentance was them coming out to John, being publicly seen by everybody to say, I'm getting ready for the kingdom of God is happening. And then the result of the coming out, which was the repentance was, God, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me of all my sins. That was the result. But it also sparked another another group of people to come out, which we read about in verse seven. But these people had a wrong heart, kind of like the, the heart of the average person today that just wants to pray a prayer and they just want God to get out of hell free card and they don't really want to turn their lives, but they want to make a showing in, in verse seven we have. But when, we saw, but, but when he, John, saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to him, to his baptism which what I would think you know to me I would look at that and go man that's a good thing these people were turning to God too but see since God John had God's heart we see that because what he says and we, we're going to look at something that Jesus told these same people uh, later on down the road he, he says he sees him coming and he says brood of vipers it's not a way to build a church folks not a way to build a following here brood of vipers he's calling them out then he gives them their message who warns you to flee from the wrath to come therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance do not think to say to yourselves we have Abraham as our father for I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones and even now the axe is laid to the root of the tree therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire by the way, we'll get there kind of more toward the end too, but if we don't repent, and if we don't make a decision to follow Christ, and if we don't, we just continue on our current path of, I'll believe in Jesus, and yeah, 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 okay, I'll, all that, and but not, my life won't be lived for him. The axe is laid to the root of the tree, which every tree does not bear good fruit, is cut down and thrown into the fire. What means... So why such a harsh message to the religious leaders? He was hard on the Pharisees and Sadducees. Why? Number one reason why he was hard on them is because they really didn't live for a God, although they were supposed to be the people that God used to get the people right. So they were... That was your priest. That was your... Your pastor, and imagine seeing your priest and seeing your pastor sleeping around with women, teaching the Bible, but then their life was like, yeah, wow, that guy's wicked and evil. Look at how he lives, whoo, brutal. So we, we have another recording, just one. We'll we'll point out and then we got we'll move on. But we go to a Luke, eleven forty two, and we see that John was right on the money with his preaching because Jesus had an encounter with the same people in Luke 11, 42. And let's hear what Jesus had to say to him. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe. Now look at what they did. Notice how what they said and what they did were two different things. And this is what God says. Look at how dangerous this is. What God said, how dangerous this was. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs and And pass by justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. So say it, make a religious showing, and love God in everything you do. Live for him. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like graves which are not seen, and the men who walk over them are not aware of them. Wow. Look at what they did. They lived one way, they wanted all the religious garbs, and they wanted all the religious praise and honor and all the people to honor them. But look what they did. And it goes on, it gets worse. We're, we're not, we'll look at we'll look at a little, little section of it, but they lived wickedness, and they were leaders of the people, and as leading the people. They said, do, and then in another section, Jesus said, do what those people tell you to do. Do what the religious leaders tell you to do. But don't act like they act. Dangerous. Do what I do, not as I say. Boy, I hated that phrase. Do as I do, and not as I say. God doesn't like it either. So, his message to them was repentance. Repentance. You confess it. You know you believe in God. Live it. Bear fruits. Worthy of repentance. Jesus addressed this attitude. Let's look at... Keep going here. And do not think to yourselves, verse 9, we are able... Excuse me. And do not think to yourselves, verse 9, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you, that God is able to raise up children from Abraham from these to Abraham from these stones. So this was an attitude of I'm a Jew. Look at how important I am. I'm important. I'm God's chosen people because God said in his Old Testament, I choose my people Israel. I choose my Jewish nation Israel. So they thought, well because we're chosen, well because look at who I am, I'm a chosen Jew, they thought they were something special. So Jesus addressed this attitude in Matthew 12:50. And and this can be said again to anybody in this situation too that thinks that I'm special cuz well I maybe somebody can say well I've prayed a prayer. Well I'm 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 a godly person cuz I I believe in Jesus. I, I've prayed that prayer and and look at what Jesus says in John or Matthew 12:50. Jesus was sitting around. There was a whole bunch of people around him. So, so that nobody could even get to him. And his mother and his brothers came to the door. I'm just, I'm reading off a little bit before we get to there. And they were, somebody runs to the door and found that it was his mom, Mary, and his brothers, James, Joseph, and sister, Salome, maybe all the family members were sitting outside the doors. They were knocking at the door. They wanted to see Jesus, but he was teaching a bunch of people. And so they came to Jesus and he said, Hey, Jesus, your family's at the door. Verse 47, then one said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. But Jesus answered them in verse 48 through 50. But he answered them and said to the the one who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand toward his disciples. Notice he didn't say the crowd, but to his disciples, because why? His disciples followed him. Here are my mother and my brothers For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. Notice not just because they said, but Jesus considered those who did the will of God to be those who were his. Not just the ones that said it, the ones who did it. Pharisees, we're not those that did it. They were those that said it. The did what they did. They lived wickedness. Verse ten of chapter three. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the tree. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. verse 12 specifically. His winnowing fan is in his hand. And he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat, his wheat, into the barn. And he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So let's look at People that do and people that say. People that do. Matthew chapter 3 here says that God's coming, Jesus is coming, and he's got his winning fan in his hand. Now what that means is when they used to thresh wheat, they would grind the wheat. They would use a heavy stone to grind the wheat. The wheat was broken into two or three pieces, though. The wheat, there was the core, which is what you could eat, but then there was the stuff that was around, and that you couldn't eat. That you had to grind off. So what would happen is, is that they would roll this stone around on the wheat in, like usually a big circle. They would crush the grains of wheat so that it would do one thing, it would crush off the, the outside that you couldn't eat, the shell, and then it would leave the hard, heavy piece of wheat, which you could eat in the middle, it would separate those. What they would do is they would usually do this in an area where there was a kind of an openness and then they would pick a really windy day. And they would take their winnowing shovel or their pitchfork and they would go into the wheat and they would pick up the wheat with this shovel or this pitchfork and they would throw it near. And the wind would carry away all that didn't belong, all that you couldn't eat, all that wasn't profitable for you to eat. And it would carry it away. What then would fall would be what was heavy, what, what was profitable, what would fall was the actual grain of wheat itself, would fall back down. So they would do this for a whole lot of times. It took a lot of time to do this. And then once when they were all done, the chaff, what they called the chaff, was separated. It was blown off into the wilderness, into the nowhere, nothingness, into the outerness. And the wheat would land, and then they would gather the wheat, and then they would take the wheat, and then they would grind that, and then they'd make their bread from that. So that was profitable. So that's what Jesus is referring to in chapter 12 here his winnowing fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat notice notice that god likens people to wheat god casts off those that don't do cuz they're what unprofitable they're like the chaff does god want to do that no god doesn't want to do that God wants that chaff to become that wheat. And it's possible through repentance. But notice he only kept what was profitable. So in your life today, in your life that you live, in every decision that you make in your life today, do you say one thing and do you live another? Because if we speak righteousness and goodness and holiness, but then we live wickedness and we live in ways that God said don't live, you're like the chaff. You're like the chaff. And at the end of days or when you die, God's wintering fan is still in his hand. He's throwing us all up. And those that are profitable, those that say and do, will fall back down and God will use them and make us into look. Look at the wheat gets made into something that's usable. Gets made into nourishment. God uses those that are his for a purpose, just like he uses that wheat grain for a purpose. Is God using you for a purpose? If not, you're the chaff and you're going to be blown away. And God won't use you because you're not usable because you've never taken that step of repentance to not just speak those words of righteousness and truth but live by them as well. Make a hard decision to say, I'm going to not live the ways that God says no to anymore. I'm going to live for Christ very important he also likens us to a tree look at the tree what kind of tree are you verse 10 and even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees that's ca- talking about when your axe is laid to the root you want to destroy the tree you not only want to cut it down you want to destroy it Therefore, every tree which does not bear the word bear means to produce what fruit is our, are our lives bearing our lives bearing the chaff? Or are our lives bearing fruit that's worthy? For every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So that's what will happen to someone that professes but doesn't live, or someone that never professes and never lives, and just doesn't decide to live ever. His axle lie at your root and cut you down and you'll burn in the fire. So if you're out there and you say, boy, oh boy, oh boy, I'm that bad tree with that bad fruit or oh my gosh, I'm that chaff and oh my gosh, my life really doesn't represent the things which I say. Then there's the hope of repentance. And again, repentance doesn't save anybody. Oh, because I've repented, I'm saved. No. What repentance does is That's that hard decision to say, I don't want to live this way anymore. I want to live this way. I want to live a godly life. I want to live for Christ. I don't want to live this way anymore. It's a desire. Those who desire to come up after me must, must, must deny self, pick up cross, die to self, and live and follow Christ. So if that's you, it's not a prayer. And I won't lead you through a prayer, but I will lead you to this. Cry out to Jesus Christ in your heart right now and ask God to forgive you and tell him that you're ready to start following him instead of being a fraud, instead of just professing one thing and living another. And make a decision within your heart of hearts to say, I'm on the wrong path, but I want to be on the path of Christ and righteousness right now. And make that decision and turn to him. Then get in his word every day, and seek his face every day, and ask that you would be like that wheat that falls to the ground, that God, you use me. And that I'd be edifying to you, and be nourishing to you. Please, I implore you do that, because the scripture is very clear. John's message, this was John's message. John, the one who God sent, and gave all those, we had all those credentials for. If you don't respect the man of John, respect the man of God that sent the man of John. let's pray Jesus thank you for your message that you gave to John today that you gave him thousands of years ago or almost 2,000 years ago but that all right, his message still burns today to all of us to anybody that's going to hear this Lord God his message still holds true to this day God I pray whoever's listening to this that they if they're not right with you if their life does not match their profession of faith, or maybe they've never made a profession of faith, and that their life, obviously they know that they're outside of you, that they would turn to you, that step of repentance, and turn to Jesus with all their hearts, and make a decision to say, I don't want to live this way anymore, I want to live for Jesus. And turn before it's too late, and that chaff is going to be blown off, And that axe is laid to the root of the tree and the tree is cut down which is producing bad fruit and it's going to be thrown into the fire and save them. Bring them to that point of salvation where then your Holy Spirit can enter in and do a good work and clean them up and then that way they could be a tree that would produce good fruit. I love you Lord God and I praise you. Save souls God with this message please. In Jesus name we pray that